Today on Blue 58, the Packers closed out 2023 with a win over the Minnesota Vikings, and not just a win, but a great one, setting themselves up for a big game to finish off their first year with Jordan Love as their starting quarterback. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am excited to be with you here for another episode because we get to start with a celebration. Not just the Packers win, not just a literal new year. 2024 is here. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great night celebrating, if that's something that you enjoy doing. Understand if you don't. Sometimes it does feel a little bit like amateur hour. But our fundraiser has come to a close. And with 66 total people donating, we have together raised $2,791.17. Thank you so much to everybody who's donated. We're sending all that money to the ANA All the Way Foundation. I don't have to say we're sending it. It's already there. You just donated to them directly. I think that's the best way to do this fundraiser. Huge thank you to everybody who chose to participate. We will be doing the drawing for the prizes before the next podcast tapes, and I'll try to be in touch with you if you are a winner here before the end of the week. You know... Please be a little bit flexible on that just because of, well, stuff going on. You know, it's, it's still kind of the holiday season. We'll try to get stuff to you as quickly as we can, though. I still have a bunch of thank you notes to write to people who donated as well. So if you have not received that from me yet, I have seen your donation. We have totaled it up. Great, great work from everybody this year. We beat last year's total by more than $1,000. Fantastic work from everybody. Thank you for the time you took to participate this year. Then we got a Packers game. And sometimes there are games that just remind me of a quote from Willy Wonka. The movie, not the book. And we're talking specifically about the Gene Wilder one, not the Johnny Depp one or the Timothy Chalamet one. From the man himself, Gene Wilder. But Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. What happened? He lived happily ever after. Boy, sometimes there are just games like that that make me feel like the guy who suddenly got everything he ever wanted. This is that kind of game. The games that are just good start to finish in a good environment. Look, a fun holiday win. You got that one. A huge series of performances from a bunch of different guys. Jordan Love putting up big numbers. Aaron Jones putting up big numbers. Bo Melton putting up big numbers. A bunch of guys getting involved on the defense. You name it, you got it. And that it comes at the expense of the Minnesota Vikings. And that it sets up the Packers for a at a very exciting Week 18 matchup against the Chicago Bears. I mean, what else could you want? It's getting everything that you could have wanted. And yeah, it does feel like you're going to live happily ever after for a while until you realize that there are more games to go. And then it really only moved the Packers to 500 and all those other things. But sometimes you just can't think about that. You just got to enjoy the glow that comes with a win like this. Because let's be honest, to continue the Willy Wonka metaphor, there have been other games this year that felt like being screamed at by a crazy man in the middle of a scary tunnel. It's all there for the Packers now, though. And this game sets up so much more. And it's still all on the Packers. The Packers had to have this one because nobody is helping them. The New York Giants decided to trip all over themselves against the Los Angeles Rams. Not that you could really ask for much else against the the New York Giants. They played their one great late-season game, and it was against the Packers. So yay for that, I guess. 
Uh, but the Giants unable to seal the deal there against the Rams means the Packers needed to win this one, and they did in convincing fashion, pummeling the Vikings, assuring that, among other things, the Packers are guaranteed to go at least 500 against the NFC North this year, which, again, not for nothing, considering how things were going around the midway point of the season. Two and five is not all that long ago, and now the Packers sit at eight and eight, heading into the final week of the season. I don't want to fixate on any bad things really in this one, but there's plenty of good ones to talk about. We will mention a couple of of bad things just in passing here, though. But the good was so, so, so good. We got to start with Jordan Love, who looked, even though I think there are statistically games where he was better, in terms of how he looked in this game, the passes he was delivering, the touchdowns to Jaden Reed, just beautiful passes all over the place. I think we've finally seen, I mean, there were flashes in the first half of the season, but over this now extended run throughout the second half of the season, maybe the second mini run now here in the second half of the season, we've seen some of that immense arm talent from Jordan Love. Just to contextualize some of his stats, though, in the five-game stretch, beginning with the the win over the Rams and ending with the win over the Chiefs, the, the run where the Packers, quote-unquote, turned things around. Jordan Love went 115 of 174 passing for just under 1,400 yards, 11 touchdowns, and two interceptions. That does include a bit of a down game against the Steelers, two interceptions there that may or may not have been entirely his fault. But in that stretch, put up a 106.3 passer rating, uh, throwing an adjusted yards per attempt figure of 8.64 in there as well. The four-game stretch from the loss against the Giants to this week A little bit cooler, but still very, very good. 94 of 139 passing, 977 yards, eight touchdowns, and an interception. 104.5 passer rating in there. Adjusted yards per attempt of 7.86. Very, very good. Not quite as good as he was earlier. However, the last three weeks throughout that Giants game, Love has completed exactly 70 of 100 passes for 759 yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions, He's cooking. 70% completion rate in there. Duh, 70 of 100. I can do that math. 8.99 adjusted yards per attempt. Has only taken three sacks in that span. The ceiling is starting to look pretty high for Jordan Love. And look, anything can happen in a short stretch. But we've, we're at the point now this season where we have seen multiple stretches of very high-level play. You've got that five-game run that we talked about earlier this season where the the Packers got things back on track for their season. A bit of a down game against the Giants, but then over the last month, very, very solid again. He is putting together a very, very impressive year uh, in his first year as the Packers starter at quarterback. Next up, we have Aaron Jones, who posted more than 100 yards again this week. His first pair of back-to-back 100-yard games Since weeks 15 and 16 of the 2019 season, look, you don't need me to tell you that Aaron Jones has been banged up quite a bit this year. Everybody knows that's kind of been the story of the season for the Packers on offense, but what a timely return for Aaron Jones. And I want to kind of get squishy here for a second. Uh, Not hard and fast analytics, not anything that really has any basis in statistics or something that we can prove, but I, I, I got to talk about how things feel, because I think that's a big part of what Aaron Jones bring to your, brings to your offense. A lot of subjective, just better feelings about what you can do on offense with him out there that you can't do with him on the sideline. 
Now, objectively, I think the offense is better with him on the field. He statistically has produced better than any other back on the roster this year, the last couple of weeks, and I think throughout the season, he's been their most productive back. But subjectively, the offense just feels better with him out there too. And I think feel matters. I spent a lot of time wondering about this and wondering if there's anything that we could do to prove something like this, because it's it's kind of an annoying conversation to have in our increasingly analytics-driven sports world. But feel does seem like it matters. Statistical evidence, research, a lot of papers that I've read say there's not much in terms of stuff like momentum or the hot hand or whatever in sports. There's really no such thing, at least if you believe some of the research out there as far as as those things go. Momentum, you talk about it in the course of a game, it really just is, is putting a name to just the way the game is going. Uh, there's really no, not always firm evidence that, you know, one series of strong play leads to another series of strong play or, or anything like that, or that having a certain guy out there makes other guys play up better just because he's out there. You know, those kind of squishy things that feel true about sports but are hard to prove. But in addition to Aaron Jones just being good at football, which could be what this is all trying to explain, that Aaron Jones is good at football, and therefore that's why the offense feels better because he's just good at football. I have a hard time just dismissing the idea that it matters that things, in addition to being objectively better, are subjectively better too with him out there on the field. You talk, I mean, we've had quotes, I have it on my soundboard here, it's labeled incorrectly, so I'm not sure exactly even which one it would be, but Jordan Love last week talking about how much it means to the offense to have Aaron Jones out there, the respect that people have for him in the Packers organization, him being one of the older players on the offense, guys looking up to him. In fact, I think he might be the oldest player on the offense. Um, just, Just what that means to the offense having him out there, it's hard to dismiss or hard to, to just limit it to the objective effect that he has. It feels like there's something, oh, there it is again, it feels. It feels like there's something more there. And I, I hope that you're just nodding your head as I say this because there's there's no hidden number here. There's no way that we can, I think, quantify this other than the quantifiable ways that you see Aaron Jones impact a game. But I'm, I'm trying to say that it it seems like there's more to it than just the quantifiable ways that he does affect the game. And if you want to boil it down to one thing that I think we can prove, the placebo effect is real, right? And it might be realer than we even think. Even if you do like sometimes double blind tests or, or tests where you have like a double placebo effect, uh, the people who believe they're getting something more effective than it actually is end up having better effects than people who just get the actual drugs or whatever it is. Maybe that's Aaron Jones. Maybe he's something of a placebo for the Packers offense. In addition to what he does do for you, maybe just feeling better with him out there raises everybody else. I don't I don't know. It seems like it's it's kind of this mystical, weird sort of thing, but I think there are these kind of emergent phenomena in sports too where you've just got guys gelling or coming together in ways that you can't really define. And I think that's kind of what makes it so cool. 
So that's why I, I feel good spending time talking about something like that. But the sort of unquantifiable things in sports like Aaron Jones and what he brings to the offense, even if there isn't a definable thing that he brings to the offense, do matter. And they seem like they mattered a lot against the Vikings. And then you've got the defense. The defense did a phenomenal job turning up the heat on Jaron Hall and later Nick Mullins as well. And that's something I said pregame that I wanted to see the Packers do. We said we wanted to see them get after whoever the Vikings ended up having at quarterback. And to be fair, that is easier said than done. It's really easy to say, well, let's go get pressure on this guy. Well, the other team has a say about that too. They would like to not have you get pressure on their guy. And you know, I guess to that point, let's all remember what happened against the, the New York Giants. The idea is that if you if you pressure Tommy DeVito, he's probably going to turn into a pumpkin. And most of the time, people have a pretty easy time getting pressure on him because he takes sacks like it's his favorite hobby. But against the Vikings, the Packers were actually able to do that. They were able to get pressure in a way that you thought they might be able to against the Giants. And they were able to do it in such a way that shut down the Vikings' offense. Throwing some volume numbers at you. The Packers had six guys Sunday with at least half a sack. They had nine guys with a quarterback hit. They had four guys with multiple quarterback hits. According to Pro Football Focus, 12 guys for the Packers had at least one pressure. And that's significant because also according to Pro Football Focus, 13 guys logged a pass rushing snap on defense. 13 guys tried to rush the passer. 12 of them affected the passer at least one time on Sunday night. That is phenomenal. And it's it's a testament to this defense having the talent to be able to beat up on a team like the Vikings when they're down. It's just that they haven't done things like this consistently. That was the big, I guess, talking point both into and out of the Giants game. And maybe we should have, I, I should have worked to tie this more to the Vikings game than I have so far, because I think there's a lot of of parallels there. That was a game the Packers should have won, uh, were expected to win in a primetime sort of situation. This had a lot of the same parallels there, though I think the Vikings actually ended up being favored by a point in this one, depending on what uh, what lines you were looking at. But I think the Packers were expected to be in both games and, and were certainly viewed broadly as at least an equal or better team in both circumstances by a lot of people. Against the Giants, they did not take care of business. Against the Vikings, they did, and in a big way. And a lot of that came down to what their defense was able to do against the opposing quarterbacks. I do want to mention, just in passing, a couple maybe just downer things. Let's do this real quickly because there's no reason to really be down about this game. Isaiah McDuffie's injury, though, does put some, I guess, question marks at linebacker here. The Packers have had question marks at linebacker, I think, for most of the second half of the season. How injured exactly is Devondre Campbell? To what extent can Quay Walker carry everything by himself? What can Isaiah McDuffie really do? Now with McDuffie hurt, you've got a linebacker room with Quay Walker and Eric Wilson and practice squad guys beyond that. That is not an ideal place to be in as you are heading into really a must-win game here. Got some question marks at linebacker. What can the Packers do to counteract that? If you're talking about linebacker coaching, theoretically, this should be where the Packers might be able to coach somebody up on pretty short notice. If anything is true about Joe Barry, he's been a linebacker's coach in the NFL for a really long time. That's where he cut his teeth as a, as a position coach. That's what he was doing with the Rams uh, prior to getting the Packers job. He should know how to get something out of just about anybody. And I think 
the Packers linebackers in Barry's tenure have generally been pretty solid uh, to even very, very good sometimes. You talk about 2021 Devondre Campbell. He was an all-pro. Uh, and Koi Walker has come along nicely over the course of this season. Can Joe Barry, uh, saying this mildly tongue-in-cheek, but can Joe Barry and I guess Kirk Olivadotti too find some way to fill a hole here if Isaiah McDuffie is not able to go against the Bears? You would hope so. It may be Joe Barry's last great moment as defensive coordinator of the of the Green Bay Packers. If he, well, <laughs> if if we're able to do something here, maybe he'll get another crack the following week if the Packers win and get into the playoffs. Other bit of a bummer here is Samori Toure. When opportunity knocks, you have got to answer. That is the ultimate litmus test in the NFL. When you get a chance... What do you do with it? The Packers wide receiver room was pretty banged up the last couple weeks. And this week in particular, it looked like Ture had an opportunity to have a role. But what do you do? And what happens to you when that opportunity arises? Well, if you're Samori Ture, you watch practice squad wide receiver Bo Melton light it up. You muff a punt. And then you have to look behind you and see, in addition to Bo Melton, there are two other practice squad receivers that are virtual carbon copies of you physically, and one of them is 2023 draft pick Grant DeBose. And you have to think that the Packers are more interested in sticking with him long-term than they are with you, just given that he is the more recent draft pick by a season. Opportunity doesn't come around all that often. And uh, Ture, I think, let a pretty significant one slip by. So what does all this mean, and what happens next for the Packers after their Week 17 win over the Minnesota Vikings? It means for right now, the Packers are alive, and the Packers have a big opportunity, needless to say. You talk about opportunity knocking. Again, they were 2-5 and five not all that long ago. Now they all but control their destiny heading into the final week of the season. They will need some help. They'll need things to break their way. But they've got the biggest thing under their control, and that's just winning a game at home against a division rival. And look, a week, a meaningful Week 18 game is about all anybody can ask for. It's something that I haven't said, I think, yet to this point this year, but I make a point of saying it just about every year. NFL games are a rare commodity. We are only guaranteed 17 of these in a given year. And we are currently facing the second best possible outcome here for Week 18. Ideally, you've got your number one seed wrapped up heading into Week 18 just because you've been so wire-to-wire dominant. Nobody else in your conference can even catch you. You've got everything buttoned up heading into your final game of the season. You can handle it, approach it however you like. And, of course, that comes with its its own challenges. But, shoot. That is the best possible outcome. The next best outcome is what we have. The Packers have a chance to play a meaningful game in Week 18. They got to do their best. They got to win their game, and then the chips will fall where they may. Where they may, and then the worst possible outcome is you've already been eliminated heading into Week 18. And Week 18 is just, or the final game of the season, whatever it was. You know, it needs to be Week 17, but the final game of the season is just whatever. You know, you start the vans in the players' parking lot or start your cars, keep it warm, get this game over as quickly as possible, and we head off into the offseason. We've seen that outcome a couple times in recent Packers history, too. Think about the 2017 season or the 2018 season. Some pretty ugly ones there in the final week of the season. Now that is not going to be the case. The Packers at least have a chance to play for something important 
uh, heading into the final week of the season. And, by the way, that meaningful game comes against the Chicago Bears. So win and get help, and they're in. And that includes a win over the Chicago Bears. And that's why I would like to dub this Destroy Chicago Week. We unveiled the t-shirt at our t-shirt store on TeePublic earlier this year, uh, titled Chicago Delinda Est. Figure out that historical reference if that means anything to you. But basically, Chicago must be destroyed. Why is that? Well, it's the Bears for one thing. The Packers got to beat the Bears. That is job number one in any Packers season. Take care of beating the Chicago Bears. If you went 2-15 and 15 in a season and those two wins were over the Chicago Bears, you have still accomplished something pretty good in that year, and you're going to get a top draft pick to go with it more than likely. The playoffs are also on the line for another thing. We've discussed that point here over and over again already. But along those lines, the Packers were also in position to do the exact same thing last year in this same kind of situation, a divisional game at home against the Detroit Lions, to be fair, uh, not exactly the same. But they, they dropped the ball there. They did not beat the Lions at Lambeau Field in the cold in what's supposed to be a Packers game They couldn't get it done, and it's time to get that back. In addition, if the Packers win, they are guaranteed no worse than second place in the division. They're not going to catch the Lions at this point, but they're they're not going to be in this convoluted three-way tie for, what do you call it, third or fourth or whatever. If they lose, they could end up in that weird tie situation with the Vikings and Bears, which could technically, I think, see them fall behind both on tiebreakers. I don't pretend to know how the tiebreakers work in the NFL. It gets very esoteric and weird. Uh, I think there is within the tiebreaker procedure some sort of dark arts consultation at some point. You know, you you have to do some sort of blood splatter and it tells you who wins um, in those situations. It gets, it's like the 19th or 20th tiebreaker though. So it's not like right at the top. Jokes notwithstanding, the fact that they would at least theoretically be tied with the with the Vikings and Bears or behind the Vikings and Bears, depending on how things go in Week 17, would be galling. So let's avoid that and beat the Bears. Let's destroy Chicago and go from there. Whatever else happens, Chicago must be destroyed. Rookie Watch. Great performance, I think, as on the whole from the Packers rookie class this week. Lucas Van Ness starts things off. Statistically a quiet performance, at least in terms of the traditional counting stats. One tackle, one assist. Not all that exciting, but Pro Football Focus credits him with two pressures. That means he has 10 pressures over his past six games. Van Ness is coming on very strong down the stretch. Luke Musgrave, of course, still on injured reserve, but Jaden Reed, more than making up the slack, six catches, 89 yards, two touchdowns. If you are a fan of big round numbers, Jaden Reed is the man for you. Through 16 weeks, he has 90 targets, 60 catches, 800 yards from scrimmage, and 10 total touchdowns. I'm going to tell you straight up, the comparisons I'm about to make are outlandish, but Jaden Reed has scored 10 touchdowns now as a rookie, 10 total touchdowns, eight receiving, two rushing. Just to get totally wild and crazy, Don Hudson had six touchdowns as a rookie, and he did not break 800 yards from scrimmage until year five. James Lofton, as a rookie, had six total touchdowns, had 831 yards from scrimmage. Fewer catches, though, just 46. Sterling Sharp, just one touchdown as a rookie and just 55 catches. 
Devontae Adams, as, as we all know, had a fairly underwhelming rookie year, just 38 catches and three touchdowns. And even compared to some of the best rookie seasons we've seen from pass catchers recently, Greg Jennings, 45 catches, 632 yards and three touchdowns. James Jones, 47 catches, 676 yards, two touchdowns. Jaden Reed, right up there with all of them. Does it mean he's better? No, of course not. But he's having a great rookie year, which I think is the overall point. Speaking of great rookie years, Tucker Craft is starting to put together a pretty solid one overall. Six catches, 48 yards against the Vikings, now his fourth consecutive game with at least four catches. He missed having four straight games with 50 or more yards by two yards today. Just, or, well, not today, yesterday, but came up just short of hitting four straight with 50-plus yards. Still, very, very solid start to his NFL career uh, as he continues to come along here by the end of the season. Colby Wooden had a measurable, well, a meaningful measurable moment. His first half sack of his career kind of walked into one. Uh, Sean Clifford, a statistically notable one of one for 37 yards passing. I initially believe this was probably the longest first pass attempt of anyone who has ever played for the Packers. But here is a historical nugget for you. As it turns out, that is not true. Way back in the 1956 season, halfback Jack Losh finished his Packers career a perfect one of one for 63 yards and a touchdown. He threw a halfback option pass for a score in a 41-17 win over the Los Angeles Rams back in October of 1956. He connected with Billy Houghton on that big touchdown score. Dontavian Wicks was out this week, so no recap necessary for him. Carl Brooks did recover a fumble, uh, so he matches Colby Wooden with a notable statistical accomplishment there. Anders Carlson missed another kick this week. Generally speaking, he is technically getting the job done, but boy, does he have some bad-looking kicks, man. And it's been a rough go over the past two months of the season. He has missed at least one kick in eight out of 16 games this year, which doesn't sound so bad, but in nine games since the start of September, he has missed at least one kick in seven games. Twice in that span, he has missed both a field goal and an extra point in the same game. I know it's not always his fault. I know there are a lot of factors that go into missing a kick. I know that there are huge differences between kicking indoors and kicking outdoors and just the quality of a hold from kick to kick. At least one of those kicks uh, has been blocked. I don't know if it was in the November to present span, but we can blame Josiah DeGuara for at least one of his extra points being blocked, just badly missing a block at some point this year. I understand all that. But kicking is the ultimate results-based job in the NFL. And if the ball is not going through the uprights at a high rate, you're going to draw some increasingly pointed attention from just about everybody, players and fans alike. Anders Carlson has been in those crosshairs now for a while. Carrington Valentine finishes the game. One solo tackle, three assists. Anthony Johnson had a special teams tackle. Malik Heath nearly had one of the more spectacular plays of the season. Jordan Love missed him on an end zone target. It looked like had Jordan just taken half a second more to gather himself. I I don't know how realistic that really was. He might have hit Heath for a score there, but as it stands, two targets for one catch for Heath, 13 yards on the day. Emmanuel Wilson still out. Brenton Cox was inactive, and Ben Sims to round out our rookie class. One target, one catch for six yards. 
To close things out, I got to start out with a shout out to Jeremy Showalter here. A couple weeks back, I used the phrase "notable nuggets" for what we, I don't know, what we term the segment here at the end of the end of the show uh, in recap episodes, and immediately corrected myself because that is the domain of the the repack, not the repack, the unpack podcast from Acme Packing Company. There, they always do notable nuggets. Uh, but Jeremy Showalter writes in and said. Uh, this was back on December 18th, and I've just now had a chance to mention it. Uh, Jeremy writes, how about squeaky curds rather than notable nuggets? I like that idea, and I think we're going to take it one one step further. How about a couple curds for the road here uh, as we round out this episode? Squeaky quir- curds from Jeremy Showalter to some curds for the road as we wrap up the show with just some kind of random observations here. Always start with uniforms in this section. Honestly, this is always one of my least favorite games of the year. I think the Packers always look worse inside. Their yellow seems to change hue significantly under artificial lights, though it is it does tend to be better in Minnesota because I think they have better lighting than just about any other indoor team. But between that and playing against the Vikings, you end up with a lot of weird-looking yellow. The Vikings' purple, of course, just always, I think, is going to be a little bit galling. I... I I don't think I hate purple on uniforms as much as I used to think I do, did, but it's something just about the Viking shade of, of it that bothers me. Maybe it could be a little bit darker or richer. I don't know. It ends, ends up looking almost a lot of times like almost lavender more than a real purple. Just, it doesn't look good on a uniform. I wish you could, I wish they could do a little bit better. And on top of that, the Vikings... I don't know if this was true of everybody, but most of the pictures and, and video I seem to recall from the game had people just wearing solid white socks with their white pants, which is, is not a good look for me. Back onto something that did look good, though. Bo Melton looked phenomenal. And, in fact, was the first Packers receiver to hit 100 yards in a game this season. If you say that you predicted that, you are a liar. Nobody thought that. In fact, if you had told me prior to this season that – Bo Melton was going to be the first Packers receiver to 100 yards, and it wouldn't happen until the second to last game of the year, I would have assumed that something had gone horribly wrong for the Packers this year, and we were probably in line for something like a top five, maybe top three pick. Instead, it's just that the Packers' pass-catching group has been really balanced. They've gotten a lot of productivity from a lot of different guys, and to Melton's credit specifically, He's essentially holding off two draft picks for his roster spot right now, Samori Ture and Grant DeBose. I would have just about put money on seeing Grant DeBose snaps by this point in the season, at least on special teams. And I know the Packers have gone away from playing wide receivers on special teams as much as they used to in the Bisaccia era. But still, it just seemed like he might be in line for a fairly significant role at some point this year. Given the number of injuries the Packers have had at receiver, that DeBose has not gotten on the field at all. He's not even gotten call-up is a real testament to what Bo Melton has been able to put together this year. As a whole, the Packers are scoring points in bunches this year. They now scored 30 points three times this season, which matches their output in that category from last year. The Packers also broke 40 in a game last year, so they had two games of 30-plus and one games of 40-plus. The Packers this season have not broken 40 yet. Uh, but any, in any case, the Packers have broken 30 as many times as they did last year this year, and they are also averaging more points per game and have nearly surpassed last year's team in scoring volume. 
Last year's team averaged 21.76 points per game. This year's team is up to 22.88 as of this week. They've also scored 366 points on the season so far. Last year's team scored just 370. So unless the Packers somehow score just two safeties against the um, against the Bears next week or a field goal and the rare one-point safety, they will surpass more than likely last year's team in terms of total scoring. Let's talk about two pass rushers here before I send you off with one last bit of feel-good news here. Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. Rashawn has been a little bit quiet in the back half of the season, had one monster game, but was very, very good against the Minnesota Vikings. Eight pressures on 24 pass rushes, according to Pro Football Focus. Still very good. And you know who else is still pretty good? Preston Smith put up just four pressures on 20 pass rushes. I say just four. That's that's still a 20% rate. Still pretty darn good. Now has eight sacks over the course of the season after recording another one against the Vikings. Over his past three years, in what I think most would consider the down portion of his career, he has 25 and a half sacks, never fewer than eight in a given season. Combining it with that other number that we look at, tackles for loss, he has 25 and a half sacks and 22 tackles for loss in his last 49 games. That's a production ratio of 0.97. Very solid, I would say, for a guy in his age, 29, 30, and 31 seasons. For comparison, Rashawn Gary has 24 and a half sacks and 21 tackles for loss in his last 41 games. That's a production ratio of 1.11. Better, to be sure, but not necessarily a lot better over the same span of years. Now, Gary has played eight fewer games, but in terms of the ratio, that doesn't necessarily matter. It doesn't matter at all, actually. That's how ratios work. That's the point of doing stats that way. But the the point is that Preston Smith quietly has been at least in the neighborhood in terms of the raw counting stats production that Rashawn Gary has been over the past three seasons. Not for nothing, Preston Smith has also missed a grand total of one game during his Packers career. Sure, it hasn't always been great. Sure, he hasn't always been consistent. Uh, there were uh, at least one very notable down year in there in 2021. But he's been pretty reliable. He's been a good player by and large. And he just is Preston Smith each and every week. And it's been good to see him continue to hit those counting numbers here down the stretch in what has turned out to be a pretty pretty strong career. Finally, let's leave you with some 2023 symmetry. I'm surely not the first or only person to note this, but on January 1st, 2023, the Packers beat the Minnesota Vikings 44-17. And then on December 31st, 2023, the Packers beat the Vikings 33-10. That means we have started and ended the year of our Lord 2023 with combined wins over the Minnesota Vikings by a 77-27 to margin. That sounds pretty good to me, and I think that's a pretty good place to end this episode of Blue 58. Appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would help me start off this 2024 year by sharing this podcast with someone you think would enjoy it too. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, perhaps me especially, Become smarter Packers fans, and as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.